This week, we speak with John Cherhard from Google Cloud about stopping bots and stopping the reliance on identifying stop signs to do so. Today is a double feature picture show. In our second segment, we'll speak with Catherine Chambers from Ardetto about hardening mobile endpoints so that security doesn't have to end when apps go mobile. We're live streaming it in our Discord channel. Come say hi and stay tuned for Application Security Weekly. This is a Security Weekly production. It's the show to learn the latest tools, techniques, and processes necessary to understand DevOps, application security, and cloud security. Your trusted source for the latest application security news. It's time for Application Security Weekly. By connecting to your code repository, Actrix generates a topology across your full stack to reveal risks so that you can harden your architecture. It also scans code for violations against compliance and security standards to enforce best practices. In addition, Actrix develops threat models using vulnerability feeds, IAM privileges, and other data to predict potential breach paths. Learn how easy it is to get started with Acurix at securityweekly.com forward slash Acurix. As the world of software-driven everything becomes a reality and development cycles speed up, sales teams are taking a new approach to application security, one that enables security teams to scale by empowering developers to integrate security into their development workflows and tool sets, all while giving security teams the visibility and control they need. Sneak helps software-driven businesses develop fast and stay secure with a developer-first solution that seamlessly and proactively finds and fixes vulnerabilities in open-source libraries and containers. Learn more and see the solution for yourself at securityweekly.com forward slash sneak. Discover a simple way to secure your app without the need for a full security team. With Trusted Software, simply drag and drop your app and get it back fully protected within a couple of minutes. Trusted Software is the smartest zero-touch app protection solution on the market. Change the world one app at a time. With 50 years of security expertise, Erdetto software security technology and cyber services protect over 5 billion devices and applications for some of the world's best known brands. To request a demo, visit securityweekly.com forward slash Erdetto. Welcome to Application Security Weekly. This is episode 109, recorded June 1st, 2020. I'm your host, Mike Shima. I'm here with Matt Alderman. Hello, Good Matt. morning, afternoon. I uh, can't remember. <laughs> can't remember. It's one of those things. Uh, we also have John Kinsella. Hello, John. Hey, it's still morning here. Still morning. Oh, and John representing the red shirts. Uh, we're going to we'll be careful if we send you away on, a, on an away team. Hopefully, we'll s stay tuned. Let's see if he survives the episode. <laughs> Learn how hidden vulnerabilities lead to application compromise in our next webcast with Sneak. Our second June webcast will be with Google Cloud, teaching you how to prevent account takeover attacks. Register for our upcoming webcasts or virtual trainings by visiting securityweekly.com slash webcasts or visit securityweekly.com slash on-demand to view our previously recorded webcasts. Join the Security Weekly mailing list and receive your invite to our community Discord server or by visiting, oh, by visiting securityweekly.com slash subscribe and clicking the button to join the list. John is an engineer in Google Cloud Security's user protection services. He specializes in developing capabilities and solutions to detect and mitigate automated attacks against web applications and infrastructure. John first joined Google as part of Chronicle, a Google Moonshot Factory graduate. He's an information security and compliance veteran with 18 plus years of experience. Hello, John. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us today. Uh, well, you've got 18 years of experience in security and compliance. Uh, so, so you've been around, you've seen bots for, for quite a while. You've seen different types of automation. And in fact, I believe you're working on two products in, in this space. So let's talk about, you know, what are the attacks that you're seeing today? And equally importantly, as I kind of alluded to in the, in the opening uh, of the episode, is how are we doing this or how are you doing this in a way that doesn't introduce too much friction for users between users and their web app? Yeah, actually, so the User Protection Services team, or UPS, uh, is a uh, division within Google Cloud Security. Um, and we specialize, like, like we said, in the, uh, the anti-fraud space, um, specifically around two core technologies. One is reCAPTCHA. And the other is our WebRisk uh, API product. Um, WebRisk is uh, the um, newest version uh, in the family of the Google Safe Browsing API, and reCAPTCHA is uh, 
is a uh, longtime veteran of the bot wars, if you will, uh, with over 4 million websites uh, deployed globally and um, in existence for well over a decade. So uh, the UPS team was recently stood up as uh, part of the Google Cloud Security family uh, in order to help um, advance these products. Uh, these products were, were things that Google had actually been providing for many, many years uh, to the community, but there was a, there was a need uh, to keep up with a faster development pace. We were seeing that um, the bots were evolving faster than the traditional uh, methodologies um, to to defeat them, and so uh, this really was something that we realized that needed uh, us to really focus on it and develop uh, further. So what we did was in January of this year, uh, we stood up the UPS team based in Durham, North Carolina, and uh, along with our other development teams uh, throughout the world, uh, to to really kind of build a center of excellence around these automated attacks and uh, figuring out how to how to stay you know leaps and bounds ahead of the uh, the bot makers um since it seems like they're it's becoming a, a very very interesting cottage industry um specifically with with the uptick in credential stuffing attacks which uh, i think has been plaguing quite a bit of the uh, uh users these days absolutely and credential stuffing you know one of the other immediate responses to credential stuffing is try to get that adoption of of 2fa um but i think even google a couple months ago, their, their report was that that 2FA is great for you know preventing account takeover, but the 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 adoption rate is in paltry, I think, single digit percentages. Um, so so that's a tough thing. So clearly, you know that that's an area that you know web applications still need defenses in. But even credential stuffing isn't the only type of modern attack against web applications. So you know, as an if I'm a web application owner, I need to care about more than just the login page, don't I? Absolutely, and that brings up a good point to, to your earlier uh, comment about user friction. So um, ultimately, what we want to do is we want to find out, you know, the whole concept of a CAPTCHA is a com completely automated test to tell human, humans and computers apart. So what we want to do is, is, is be that authoritative source when it comes to determining um, whether the likelihood of a bot or not. Uh, the way we do that is finding a sweet spot between user friction and bot friction, and you got to really finely tune that. Uh, typically speaking, there's 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 two schools of thought: set it and forget it, or actually tune it. And the uh, the site administrators and the application owners that are uh, sitting there and tuning their technology based on the use case are the ones that have the ultimate um, uh, uh, advantage at both defeating the bots and also not defeating sales. Uh, in a recent case, we saw a 70% decline in tra uh, transaction conversions uh, with one particular uh, organization because they developed their own CAPTCHA technology. And when they implemented it, um, it was so difficult uh, to, to use that their users just were unable to, to conduct their business. So finding that, that friction sweet spot to, that, to keep the, the bots at bay and, and then also enabling commerce is, is something that we're really keen and focused on. Uh, the original versions of CAPTCHA um, were, were effective uh, you know, initially. They were able to, um, to, to challenge the bots in a way that um, was mechanical in nature. And so what we basically did is we assumed that everybody was a bot. And you had, you know, you were a bot until proven not, if you will. And so um, over time, though, uh, as the bots continued to evolve and, they, you know, just kept getting tested. And we even saw technologies like um, agile, actual widget uh, or capture defeat purpose or um, uh, programs out there. There's even browser extensions now that can do a lot of that under the guise of um, a, um, ADA compliance or assistance and stuff like that. So uh, the mechanical widget is still probably one of the most popular um, methods. Uh, we're best known for I am, I am not a robot. Uh, or uh, maybe um, as, as, as also known as the click the, uh, the sidewalks or click the uh, crosswalks, click the stop, line, uh, stop signs and all that other stuff. Um, but uh, as, we, as we saw, you know, the bots evolved and then user friction also skyrocketed as a result. So we needed to come back and, and kind of reapproach things. And so over the evolution, which we're now in the fourth generation of um, reCAPTCHA with the launch of reCAPTCHA Enterprise, uh, we, we've seen uh, where it's it's not just one single thing that solves it. And 2FA alone is not going to solve this either, especially with the adoption rate. Um, literally, we started off with uh, OCR malformed characters. Uh, we went over to the mechanical um, widgets and selections using images. And, and in version three of reCAPTCHA, we went over to invisible reCAPTCHA where you may not even realize that you're being you know um, uh, assessed as a bot in that case, and unless you saw the privacy banner at the bottom of the screen there. And that was uh, a big shift for us. So we went from a mechanical uh, methodology to a machine learning uh, methodology. And then from there, uh, we started looking at new forms of, of friction introduction. And, and as you said, 2FA is, is, a, is a really big and popular one right now, especially with the proliferation of cell phones. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to get an SMS message or, or even an email and very quickly respond to that. 
Uh, we're also seeing tokenization as another one as well. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, you know interesting integrations on that, but uh, 2FA alone um, has issues now. We're seeing smishing attacks on the rise. So smishing is, is negating uh, some of the stuff. So uh, we really have to continue to evolve um, both the detection capabilities and also the challenge capabilities. And that's something that the UPS team has is, is, um, been working on diligently. Additionally, um, we also have to, to, to enrich that data and provide it because just because we, we do an assessment of a session uh, and make a determination score, there, there's other factors that could potentially be brought in uh, to enrich the overall security posture of an application and the enterprise as a, as a whole. Uh, we often see uh, reconnaissance attacks, if you will, or even an uptick in traffic uh, prior to a major bot event as well. So taking that, aggregating both um, the recapture data um, and, and other data sets or um, other security telemetry into like a, a SIM or a next-gen SIM um, like uh, Chronicle uh, has really helped uh, not just the application security folks, but ultimately the, uh, this or the, the entire security team as a whole. So. Yeah, and you're describing a lot there, too, is that, you know, applying the machine learning and looking at much more longitudinal data, if you will, about watching that uptick in activity before the bot, um, you know, the botnet attacks or the bot attacks even begin. Um, but it also sounded like, I think, you know, one of the reasons you're talking about your, you and your team, th this evolution it's, is that the, the attackers are also applying their own machine learning against that mechanical form of recaption. It sounded like that's one of the reasons that's pushing you into um uh, you know, having this this cat and mouse for for lack of a better cliche, um, that that type of that that type of fight. And, but I also imagine, in addition to these bot herders that are doing this with malicious bots, there there's also got to be some good bots out there, perhaps, um, that you that you're also watching and responding to, perhaps in a different way. Is that so? Absolutely. And and the concept of good bots just kind of blew my mind the first time that I actually heard it. I was like, wait, there's actually good bots out there. And and I, I mean, I knew there were, but I just it, it, every day I, I get introduced to a new use case of the product. Uh, we've seen bots um, used for scraping um, tracking numbers for parcels um, where there are companies that are literally uh, built legitimate business out there um, scraping um, and, and basically guessing, enumerating um, package tracking numbers and then bringing that into their own database so that they can combine multiple shippers under one single website. And that's actually a legitimate business. Now that has a drastic impact, um, not necessarily from a security perspective for the, um, the post office or the package shipper, but that's a huge IT resource. Um, and so um, there's, there's now using that type of data, um, you know, the, the parcel companies are starting to open up APIs to these third parties because they realize that there's a need and a demand. So it's not just purely um, a, a, a malicious intent in there. Uh, other things too, uh, we've seen where governments will open up uh, pending legislation for public comment as well. And so uh, public comment can be in the form of uh, citizen to government or lobby group to government. And so what we're finding is that uh, organizations in that case would like to actually be able to dif differentiate bot traffic from actual human traffic so that they can properly account for the weighting of, uh, you know, what is what is a, a major blast versus another. And then uh, also uh, another uh, aspect of it is by using machine learning, we can um, uh, using uh, machine learning, we can go ahead and, and tune the models uh, effectively to, to, to look for what is a good bot and what is a bad bot. Uh, we found that, you know, uh, there's a lot of instances where um, other using um, various capture technologies, the bot makers actually will try and train and test their, their uh, bot scripts against other our various capture technologies. So what we want to do is we want to make sure that the machine learning models that we have stay ahead. And so as we start to see signs of, uh, of bots that potentially are, are circumventing the current methodologies, the machine learning models are able to know um, the difference between a, a good bot and a bad bot. This helps um, the models stay tuned uh, to that site, uh, very site-specific traffic and, and refine themselves. So uh, static analysis is something that you know uh, does not work in this case because it's just a matter of, of finding the 10th or the 11th thing on a 10-point on a checklist. And then mm -hmm. once you got that, you're, you're past it. So um, again, it's it's all about um, running the models in a manner that they continue to get the best uh, granularity of data, uh, and then ultimately uh, keeping refi keep refining that. That then has to be met in terms with uh, a plausible friction methodology that does not uh, inhibit the uh, user experience as well. So it's a it's a very fine, delicate balance. Um, I I really liken this more to a um, almost like you would see in a database. Uh, you know, you have the database administrator uh, and then you have, you know, the database users and you have all the, there's there's a fine tuning process that goes into every database to make sure that it's it's uh, it's running efficiently, that the data is structured and all that. And that's really what, what we're starting to see a lot of these uh, 
uh, you know, Capture Technologies de developed is to a very robust uh, security database um, based on uh, characteristics interactions with the sites. Uh, it's imperative uh, that people understand that, you know, we don't know if it's a user or not. So, um, you know, given the privacy laws and everything like that, we actually look at session interaction. So we actually don't, we don't track that um, in that aspect. And, and we look at it from a session level um, because it may not be a user. So uh, understanding those characteristics and developing those models to your specific site and your site alone is, is really important to, uh, to staying ahead of the curve. Now, John, so very... most people talk about machine learning, right? There's like, oh, you know, machine, there's another machine learning algorithm. But in the case of Google, I'm, I'm pretty sure you guys have enough data points to actually do some very interesting modeling. Can you talk about some of the models and some of the data that you're pulling to help determine, you know, is this a bot? Is this a user? Is it a good bot? Is it a bad bot? Um, help us through some of that. So uh, one of the things that I think is really interesting to me is how closely guarded uh, and, and protected um, the machine learning models are at Google. Um, we have, you know, in, in my opinion, the best in the industry uh, when it comes to security and, and protection and, and even the maintenance of, of, of our machine learning models. Uh, specifically in the case of CAPTCHA, um, our models are tuned to the specific in individual site. Um, that being said, there's um, there are models that are, are the, the models are based off things that we internally uh, use. So Google has nine products with over one billion active monthly users. Um, in fact, I believe one of those nine, which is the G Suite, has been publicly certified to over two billion monthly users. Uh, that being said, that's part of the reason why we got into Recaptcha was in order to protect our own infrastructure, um, and that's why we uh, we purchased uh, Recaptcha in two thousand nine. And we, we, you know, we needed the technology. Um, Google has a very proud um, heritage of dog fooding where we eat our own dog food and, and we, we use our own technology. And so what we've done is we've, you know, with the release of Recaptcha Enterprise, we've taken all those lessons learned and, and learned and built out this, this amazing um, capability within Recaptcha Enterprise from those, you know, over um, 10 years of, of, of experience working with these, with these data models and tune them, and then now give you the ability to tune them specifically to your site. Um, and so, yes, we are. We definitely um, know a thing or two about machine learning, and uh, we're bringing that that really powerful capability that lets us know the best time to go to a restaurant or a bank. And we're taking that same technology, that same engine, and then putting it to you. In terms of what we look for, uh, we probably get the number one question we get is, "What what specifically do you look for?" And the answer is, "I don't know," and I couldn't tell you if I did. And the reason for that is uh, there's not one person at, 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 uh, on my team that actually knows uh, every specific rule, every specific um, uh, algorithm to the machine learning models. There's there's not one person. And the reason for that is uh, we want to protect the sanctity of the data models and the uh, and what it is that we 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 guard. Uh, our development teams are broken up um, for that specific reason, um, and so there, there's not one person that has the keys to the castle. And so it's really important that we don't publicly disclose um, spe the specifics of all of that information because we don't want the bot makers to just build a better mousetrap. Uh, to us, in many ways, this is kind of like if uh, those of you who grew up uh, watching or reading um, Mad TV uh, with Alfie and all that, this is very spy versus spy uh, in that sense. And so um, we, we we have to stay and very uh, carefully protect those those uh, the, that intellectual property that has made the product as popular as it is, again, with over 4 million websites using it today. So spy versus spy, I was going to say um, cat versus mouse, but it's very much sort of a, uh, um, you're leapfrogging each other every every day or, you know, probably hours in some cases for you guys. Um, and and that, that topic of machine learning sort of fed into where I was thinking about, which is, you know, AGI is becoming... Um, whether or not you believe in the religion of, of artificial general intelligence or not, the chances of that happening seems to be becoming stronger and stronger each day. Um, you know, the, the clusters out there, they're being used to build this or to, to train these models are becoming larger and larger. So it seems to me at some point, reCAPTCHA is not going to be able to do what it's doing. At, at some point, it's going to be very sort of, material, if I can, well, let's leave that out of it, but it'll be very strong chance that the bots on either side can be very, um, convincing it being um, not a bot. Are you guys thinking that far ahead? I'm sure you are. Is there anything you can comment around that? Or? Um, so, you know, knowing the compute power that we have at our, our, you know, I mean, I can fire a million cores up with a single click of a mouse and all that. Um, you know, we have some of the most um, robust uh, 
infrastructure globally. Uh, you know, I spent a good bit of my career um, working for um, for the U.S. government, and I was like, oh, we have satellites and we have all this other stuff. And I came to Google, and my mind was just blown at the infrastructure we have. So, um, if anyone can do it, I'm pretty sure we can do it um, in terms of staying ahead uh, from that. I will touch on a point that um, that you guys have, have kind of mentioned once or twice here, and that's um, you know the whole. ML buzzword and the AI buzzword and all that. And having come from the Chronicle side of the house where I worked on our next gen SIM product, um, uh, the artist formerly known as Backstory, now Chronicle. Uh, one of the things that uh, I guess um, triggers me um, is when people talk about AI and ML um, just blanketly across security. And, and the reason for that is you have to have a very specific purpose of what you wanna use the technology to solve. Um, you know, if, if um, you know, uh, static analysis um, alone would have solved the malware problem, Peter Norton would have shut that down in, in the mid to late 90s, um, you know, for us. Uh, we've had to evolve because the, the threat has evolved. Um, malware went dynamic and polymorphic. Um, you know, machine learning looks for patterns. Um, you know, how do you... How do you how do you look for patterns in something designed to to not be invisible? So right now, uh, the best methodology is um, what we're doing, in, in our opinion, uh, on the machine learning side, and also um, tuning that along with the user friction to to hopefully uh, kind of like seeing a um, uh, walk like a burglar walking up to a house and seeing a, um, a home security label. We're hoping that somebody sees that recapture logo and just goes to another website. Uh, in that sense. Um, but uh, machine learning is helping us uh, just make it harder, more difficult. And at some point, you have to realize that uh, it, unless it's a nation state sponsored attack, um, this is a, a, a for profit type uh, of malicious uh, attack, if you will, for the most part, with the exception of maybe the, the good bots. So what we need to do is we need to make it so cost prohibitive that the bot makers just stop doing this. And so right now, our best our, our, our best guess is the combination of that, that new user friction along with the machine learning models. Uh, and that that may over uh, evolve over time. AI could potentially play a bigger part in that. Um, but uh, as fast as the industry is moving right now, um, and, and you know, keeping up with everything, uh, this seems to be a very effective method. We've seen um, since the launch of Recapture Enterprise, we've seen just a, a massive uptick in uh, user experience, um, and 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 really like uh, we we're finding that the, the that sweet spot is a lot easier to obtain because we we can tune each individual site specific to whether it's an account takeover, um, uh, a uh, coupon stuffing, a carding attack, um, scalping. I mean, there's there's 20 to 30 different use cases that we, we see the technology being used for. And what we found is mostly everyone just focused on it, on the simple account takeover with the login. Uh, but what we're seeing now is, is, is that use case is growing um, further and further. It's password resets, it's account updates, it's, um, you know, um, shopping cart verifications, it's uh, tracking form submissions. We're seeing it used on H human resources websites. Um, some of the most interesting use cases I've seen, like, or like I said, is the one of the, uh, the, the packages where that's it. Uh, even the delivery drivers and, and you know, everything now um, seems to be in a one hour delivery, whether that's a, um, your food being delivered from a restaurant or even a one hour delivery on some of the large online retailers and stuff like that. What's happening is these drivers uh, have to go out and bid for these, um, uh, these particular uh, routes and stuff. And what we're seeing is bot makers standing up legitimate businesses where they go in and they, they grab the different bids. And then what they do is they turn around and we'll resell that to, to the drivers as well. So it's a, it's a really interesting to see the cottage industry evolve as well. Now, John, John obviously talking, a lot oh, of ahead. people are, are used to the old captchas, the ability to hire a bunch of people, maybe overseas to kind of bypass them. I'm assuming Recaptcha Enterprise has addressed some of these issues with some of the challenges of the what people would necessarily look at as as the old Captcha technology, which is show me, you know, give me all the ones that have cars, and then they outsource all that to to India or something like that, and and add that human element. Recaptcha Enterprise addresses some of those issues with kind of the open source and other versions of Captcha that are out there, right? Yes, absolutely. In fact, uh, we don't um, we don't even train our own internal models um, using public stuff anymore. And the reason for that is we found people are just really bad at solving captures. Um, and so um, that that methodology is is just really just you know I mean it's 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 at a um, it's very case specific and it, and it still has a valid use case. It's just you have to understand what you're trying to solve for. Uh, is it a, a bowling league website or is it an e-commerce site or is it a COVID relief site? Um, and understanding again, who is your demographic of your users? Like, what are you know, what are the users um, that are going to be using primarily this website? Um, one would think that a college admissions website would potentially have uh, a different um, 
use case than say um, the Social Security Administration's website or or AARP or, or some other organization. So what we want to do is make sure that as part of this process, the, the application administrators take into account what threats are being posed to them, who are my users, um, you know, who who will ultimately benefit from this. And, and again, it, it is not just a um, black and white thing anymore. Uh, we have we have to set it. And we have to understand what the bigger picture is. And so what you see in, in a typical deployment is there's the security architects. There's folks from marketing. There's business owners that you know directly are tied to this, and so um, uh, you know it really starts with that initial touch point of going to the website and then building out your workflows from there. And what about and when you're talking about that? Because you um, mentioned like we're talking about ML and like the quality of data, and you're talking about um, having it customized very much to the sites in particular. But often too, as you were talking about, for example, credential stuffing and coupon stuffing, th there may be very different teams on that um, application side that are responsible for that authentication experience, that you know the login page versus the shopping page. So what does it look like, or are there particular hurdles or things to keep in mind? on the, the DevOps side of things when they're trying to deploy a tool like this? Absolutely. I think one of the biggest things that, uh, that we've seen has been that there's so many different silos within an organization um, that don't even know that, you know, another organization within their organization is using the technology. Um, having a consolidated um, strategy when it comes to um, uh, capture is really important. Um, so the login team will be different from the e-commerce team versus the couponing team versus, you know, um, we're seeing a lot of online retailers tying in their loyalty program cards to the 2FA, for example. So uh, they want to, they need to validate their, their users. Um, they need to um, uh, go out and, and, and do data quality checks. So marketing is now involved in this uh, because they want to validate that, that data set as part of the 2FA that plays into security. And then the, again, the login team may not be working with the uh, online uh, cart teams. So uh, what uh, it, what I would say is anyone that is is looking to embark on a on a captcha um, uh, project definitely um, send out a, uh, an email to your within your organization and find out, or even just poke around on your website and see. Uh, more often than not, most people don't realize that uh, there's there's somebody else already doing this within an organization. Also, buying uh, buying uh, Advil at the airport is a uh, is a, is really expensive. If you go buy it at one of the the large warehouse stores like a Costco or something like that, it's a lot cheaper because you're buying in bulk. So uh, capture recapture is no longer free. Um, and so, uh, you know, what you need to do is you need to kind of consolidate that so you can get a, a, a you know a more coverage and and get it at a bulk rate as well too. Yeah, and I know we, we've been talking about recaptcha and, and bots and account takeover. Um, and and with all the battle of the bots, no one has yet mentioned us. You know, made a Terminator Skynet reference. Um, so I will make instead a Tron reference and fighting for the user is one of my more favorite pop culture references. Um, but we haven't really talked about web risk too much. And I think that's one of the other things that is um you know one of the major product areas you're looking at that also benefits from the massive amount of call it data or just visibility that your team has. Um, so tell us real quick, uh, you know, as we're getting to the end here, you know, what does web risk look like and how is that, you know, what, what threats is that addressing? How is that protecting users? So uh, web risk is the enterprise version of the Google safe browsing API and the two work basically hand in hand. So the safe browsing API was an initiative that Google started um, in the mid two thousands were basically in all intents and purposes was a um, uh, not-for-profit um, uh, threat intelligence platform. You know, obviously we see a lot of the internet traffic, um, you know, that happens with our nine, uh, you know, um, billion, our, our nine, one billion user a month um, uh, products that we have out there. So we see a lot of good and we see a lot of bad and we, you know, all that. And so every time you click a, a fish, uh, like if you click on a, on a Gmail account, you, you say spam or phishing and things like that, that goes into a database. And so uh, what that ultimately will allow us to do is that will allow us to um, uh, go in and, and, and take a look at that. And so what we've done is we've amassed this amazing collection of, uh, of data, if you will, and uh, of, of, of good and bad websites. And so what, uh, what WebRisk basically does is it makes that available in four different flavors to our users. You can do a straight lookup and see if it's, this is considered a, a, a malicious website from a spam um, or from, um, you know, uh, spyware or anything like that. We have various categories on the, the different platform. Um, and so that's now available for commercial reasons. And uh, a good a good use case of that could be you could uh, do web, you know, 
an integration with the web proxy and take a look and, and check that as well if you want. But really what we're seeing is from a retail perspective, we're seeing it um, for, for content analysis. So if you uh, if you have a review site uh, or a website where you're actually allowing users to post reviews and things like that, what we're finding is a lot of times a lot of phishing attacks will occur um, by users pasting in uh, URLs and saying, hey, for a free coupon code, click here. Uh, well, what, what WebRisk allows us to do is in a, in a very secure and private manner, allow you to take that URL, uh, check it against our database, which is quite robust, and then make a determination whether it's on that list or not. Uh, depending on the version of the API that you're using, you can also conduct an on-demand assessment of that URL. So uh, a lot of times when you go to a, um, uh, a uh, one of the Threat Intel feed lists, it's you don't know how, how recent that data has been analyzed. We now have the ability to invoke an automated assessment uh, of that. My favorite feature of WebRisk, though, is the um, submission API. The submission API allows you to submit via um, an API um, uh, to us a URL that you've deemed malicious. Now, let's say um, I'm, a, I'm working in a SOC and there's a massive spear phishing attack going across my organization. Uh, what I have to do, and it's been reported to me, I can take that URL, submit it to the submission API. And what the submission API will do is it will validate that API or that URL is malicious. And in less than one hour, it will add it to the um, Google Safe Browsing API. And so what that'll effectively do is um, pop up either a warning and or block access to that website, depending on your browser configuration, on every um, on over 4 billion devices globally. Uh, so that's uh, you know anything covered by the Safe Browsing API, which is going to be your Android, your Gmail, your Chrome, and numerous other third-party tools that leverage the, um, the, the public version of the uh, Safe Browsing API. So imagine a world where you don't have to um, go in and contact legal, have a cease and desist letter, um, contact the authorities and all that. And in less than one hour, you have the ability to effectively neuter a, a phishing attack. Uh, that's what we're bringing with, um, with our uh, new uh, submission API as part of the, uh, the WebRisk platform. So it's, it's very exciting. And we're seeing now that uh, the reCAPTCHA is, is literally the, the tip of the spear when it comes to the application security side. And we're starting to uh, drill into the content. Then you take that and your further analysis can be done with one of our sister companies at Google, VirusTotal. And then you can ultimately take that and pass it on to the SIM. So you're, what you're seeing is an entire end-to-end -end security solution that um, the Google Cloud Security team has been um, helping to refine and bring to market as, uh, in, a, in a cloud agnostic manner. Um, you can run this technology either um, on, on GCP, you can run it on AWS, uh, you can uh, run it on Azure. It really, um, you know, we're the company behind, you know, like major supporter of Kubernetes. So one of the biggest things for us is making sure we have that open standard where we can support security uh, across the, uh, the the different cloud providers because we think security is, is something that really should, um, you know, not have necessarily um, those boundaries when it comes to uh, compatibility and stuff. So it's a very uh, telling story when you sit there and put the pieces together. Really excited. Yeah, to definitely. Definitely building it to, to, to do another reference is this is the, the Rostrum's universal robots. You're building, you know, universal application security across cloud. So that's great to hear. Um, and I think, John, we talked a little bit before this episode just about the, the history of reCAPTCHA. And um, as we wrap up here, um, you had made the point that, you know, reCAPTCHA, the idea goes back to, you know, Alan Turing talking about this in, in 1950. Um, so rather than put you on the spot and predict what 70 years from now, you know, these, these will look like, um, what, what are a couple of things that, that um, listeners should look forward to over the next couple of months from either on the web risk or the reCAPTCHA front? I would say definitely stay tuned. Uh, we went uh, with reCAPTCHA especially, we went to um, a quarterly release cycle. And um, thanks to the fact that, um, you know, we've we've been a little more focused on and stay at home versus going on the road and talking to everybody about the new launch. We're actually ahead of schedule on our on our product uh, release roadmap. So uh, we've we've um, we've released some really new uh, awesome new features uh, in the products already. Um, you know, uh, native integrations within the capabilities. The other thing too is uh, we've we've also um, bridged the gap to actually provide full mobile uh, SDKs for both Android and iOS. Uh, back to your ClickFarms um, story and all that stuff, we now have the ability to um, not just do iframes and, and other things like that, but we can take it down to the application level within the mobile space. So um, what we're finding, especially in in different areas, is that sometimes mobile is a six to uh, you know sixty percent of all traffic is mobile related. So uh, we're we're continuously looking at where um, you know where the where the frauds coming in and 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 you know how are they um, you know or how are the bots uh, getting past it and mobile seem to be a really big part especially with as cheap as uh, a lot of these mobile devices are so 
um, staying ahead of the curve and um, getting the tech out there. Um, definitely reach out to the recapture team for a, for a demo. We have both our public roadmap and then our, uh, our NDA uh, based roadmap for our prospects and for our customers. Um, I'm really excited about some of the stuff and hopefully, um, you know, uh, with everything going on in the world, we can, we can go back to a point where we can all um, congregate again. Um, you know, once uh, the first responders and, and folks on the front lines of the COVID thing have, uh, have really been able to, um, to, 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 to bring us some normalcy back to life and we can kind of meet and, and rejoice about this. But if not, we're going to do our virtual shows. So stay tuned for blog updates and things like that on where we're going to be doing our product announcements and launches. Um, uh, we've got, we've got quite a bit in store. Uh, we've come a long ways uh, from, uh, from uh, Alan Turing's, uh, you know, assessment in 1950. And I think, um, you know, in the next five years, we'll, we'll come even further uh, than we have, uh, you know, in the last 70. So uh, stay tuned. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, John. And we'll, we'll be excited to watch that. We'll have to have you back on in uh, another couple months to see what, what's, what's been new. Thanks again for coming. Thanks for having me. Have a good one. Thanks. And if you do want to learn more about Google Cloud, you can also visit securityweekly.com slash recaptcha. And we're going to take a quick break now and we'll return with our next segment. Today, cyber criminals are taking advantage of an expanded attack surface to commit malicious activities ranging from hijacking user accounts to making fraudulent purchases. Businesses need solutions that can protect their sites from this increase in fraudulent activity. Recaptcha Enterprise is a frictionless fraud detection service that leverages our experience from more than a decade of defending the internet with Recaptcha and data for our network of 4 million sites. To learn more about how Recaptcha can defend your website or mobile application against fraudulent activity, visit securityweekly.com forward slash Recaptcha. Signal Sciences secures the most important web applications, APIs, and microservices of the world's leading companies, protecting over 7,500 applications and 150 billion production requests per week. Signal Sciences next-gen WAF and RASP help companies increase security and maintain site reliability without sacrificing velocity, all at the lowest total cost of ownership. Signal Sciences patented technology protects any application against any attack with integrations into any DevOps toolchain. Signal Sciences, demand more from your WAF. Learn more at securityweekly.com forward slash signal sciences. With 84% of cyber attacks targeting the application layer, securing your software is more challenging than ever. Synopsys enables DevSecOps with a portfolio of industry-leading tools including Coverity, Black Duck, and Seeker to help you build secure, high-quality software faster. Synopsys is the leader in application security testing. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash synopsis to learn more. Welcome back to Application Security Weekly. I'm your host, Mike Shima, joined by Matt Alderman and John Kinsella. Join us at InfoSec World 2020, June 22nd to 24th, now a fully virtual event. Security Weekly listeners save 15% off the InfoSec World main conference or World Pass. Visit securityweekly.com slash ISW2020. Click the register button to register with our discount code. Layer 8 is going virtual. The conference will still be held on Saturday, June 6th. Security Weekly listeners save $20 on their ticket by visiting layer8conference.com and using the promo code SECURITYWEEKLY before selecting your ticket type. Please consider supporting Layer 8 or one of their partner organizations when purchasing your ticket. Some of the Security Weekly team will be in our own channel on the Layer 8 Discord server answering questions and possibly doing some contests. Since 2011, Catherine Chambers has been helping to architect Erdetto's security solutions for web, mobile, and embedded systems. She sometimes posts videos for Erdetto on the subject of reverse engineering under the name Cloakware Kate. Prior to joining Erdetto, Catherine worked for many years as a lead programmer in fast-paced startups. Her experience spans the range from coding and assembler to cloud computing. Catherine holds a master's degree in mathematics from Queen's University. Hello, Catherine. Thank you for joining us. Hello. Thank you for having me. So we're ha happy to have you here, and especially to talk about apps on the endpoint. Um, we, we talk about on, on the show quite a bit about web security, but mobile apps have some additional security concerns because these are apps that the, the client has full control over, or if we use a different term, the attacker has full control over. So let's just start off with what are some of those threats or what are some of those concerns that we should be have in mind when we talk about apps as the new endpoint? or the endpoint, the, the security issues around them. Uh, sure, I was actually, uh, uh, I came into the last few minutes of your, your previous interview and, and I, heard, uh, I heard John say something about how 60% of their, their uh, mobile traffic is, or their traffic is coming from uh, mobile. And I, I think, you know, that, that 
that really uh, hits on the trend, right? That mobile apps are the vehicle of choice for interacting with all kinds of important systems, um, all kinds of uh, high value, uh, high value assets. You know, they're they're how we as users engage with you know social social networks. They're how we as uh, employees uh, interact with our with our enterprise networks. Um, you know, I can't think of an application I, I use uh, on my desktop that I can't that doesn't also have a mobile variant. Um, but increasingly, they're 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 how you interact with with physical systems. Um, you know, we we all know that there are apps you can use to control door locks, but there are also, you know, apps you can use to control medical diagnostic equipment or or other commercial equipment like an HVAC system or or, or a turbine. Um, so so the the point is that you know, mobile apps really are the the new endpoint. They are the the uh, the, the point of entry into some really high value, high value networks and high value systems. Um, so when we're talking about about security, we really need to be careful that you know we're looking at uh, mobile apps the same way we look at any any other system. And, and you hit on this in your question: um, when we release a mobile app uh, to the wild, to to the app store, and and users are able to download it, um, we're giving them full access to inspect the app. They can, they can load it in an emulator. They can uh, install it on a jailbroken device. They can use static analysis tools. They can use dynamic analysis tools to figure out what's going on in the app. And it doesn't matter how many security updates we do later on. Um, anything we expose in even version one of, of the app is, is, is out there for life. Absolutely. And I think, you know, there, there's an easy one to say, like, you know, someone reverse engineering the app, finding hard coded secrets. So here's your API key for your whatever cloud service provider you're using. Um, that, that That's maybe an obvious one, but there's some more subtle things there, too. And you, you mentioned a little bit of the threats, um, whether they're controlling like industrial systems, HVAC, um, mentioning too like like healthcare apps and even too, um, you know, it, right now, currently in the news, of course, is all COVID and contract tracing. So there's also potentially a lot of how these apps are collecting data. Um, but I think there's also some aspects of what about apps being reverse engineered and then even repackaged? You know, what have you seen around, you know, what types of threats have you seen around that as well? Yeah, you, you touched on a bunch of stuff there, and, and maybe I'll maybe I'll talk about a few of them if <laughs> that's the okay. Yeah, so um, you know, there's a bunch of things. There's a bunch of reasons why why someone um, would want to reverse engineer an app, and you know, some of them are are, are um, you know simply repackaging the app, um, installing malware in it, installing adware in it, um, taking a you know perhaps a paid app, uh, repackaging it, making it freely available through a third party app store, and using it as a vehicle to to launch launch some other sort of attack uh, against users. Um, but there's possibly, you know, some other like more subtle things, like you said. So um, an obvious one is if you've got credentials baked into the app, um, you know, someone might be interested in trying to get access to those. Um, but maybe people aren't aware that there are some very good dynamic, dynamic tool sets out there too. So even if your app isn't hard coding um, values, doesn't have hard coded secrets, you know, you can use these tools to pick up uh, dynamic uh, data as it flows through the app. And that's when you start talking about things like healthcare data or, or finan financial data, banking data. Um, you know, if, if someone's able to install uh, some sort of instrumentation framework in, in, in an app and, and uh, pull data out as it's, as it's being used, um, that can become very valuable. Um, you mentioned on, on contact tracing uh, apps, which are certainly very topical these days. And, you know, it's been it's been a number of years now that, I, that I've been hearing that, you know, personal healthcare records and personal health information are amongst the most valuable assets that you can you can buy on the black web or the dark web rather. And, uh, and, you know, as we're thinking about things like, like uh, contact tracing apps, I think, you know, and other healthcare apps, we really need to be thinking about how, how are we handling the data? Um, you know, as diligently as possible to make sure that, you know, none of our users who are trusting us with some very personal information uh, are exposed. Um, I think, uh, I think maybe that's, uh, there's a, it's worth exploring that, you know, aside from revealing secrets or, or revealing, you know, data as it's moving through the app, um, there's, there's perhaps another thing to think about. Um, and that is your app itself may be a trade secret. You may have intellectual property that you've implemented in your app. You may have poured long engineering uh, hours into doing something smarter and better than, than your uh, competitors. And you wouldn't necessarily want someone to, to be able to figure that out and, and exploit it or reuse it or copy it uh, without your knowledge. 
But, so then uh, what does, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I, I was going to say one more thing, because, you know, I think when we think about app security, uh, we're often thinking about that. Like, what does my app handle? What does my app do? Uh, what 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 sensitive or valuable uh, pieces of information does my app handle that an attacker might be interested in? Um, but one of the benefits of working at a company that has, uh, you know, reverse engineers and white, white hat uh, hackers uh, working for us is that you get a chance to talk to them and you get to, you know, you get to understand a little bit more about how a hacker might view an app. Um, and I think, you know, maybe there are some people out there who are, you know, kind of reassured that they don't think their app would be a target because it's not really handling financial data or anything that, you know, might be a, a target in itself. Um, but one thing maybe to keep in mind is that hackers, you know, kind of step back a little bit and look at the bigger picture. Um, you know, just like, you know, they might see a webcam and not see it as a web camera, but as compute resources that they could lose, use to uh, create a botnet. A, a hacker might look at your app, not so much as what your app was designed for, but as what they can do with it, right? So they might not be interested in you know, the assets your app has so much as how could they leverage it? You know, perhaps your, your app has a really huge install base and that's what the attacker is interested in. The app may not have a lot going on itself, but if they can get into your app, if they can repackage themselves into your app and then hit your user base, that might be really valuable. Or, or if your app uses a, uh, a piece of uh, third-party software, like an open source library, that the attacker already knows how to exploit, um, the attacker might decide that your app becomes a, a really valuable target to them just because of that. Just, you know, opportunistically, your app may be, it may be a valuable target um, without necessarily having any sort of those high value secrets that, uh, that we tend to think of uh, when we think about hacking. Yeah, I think that's a great way to expand what the, you know, what a security team when they're talking with developers about what's the threat model. And the threat model, as you're very, you know, well pointed out, it's much more than, well, we don't have financial data, we don't have personal health data. So, you know, we're, we're probably fine, we're not going to be a targeted. So, so that's a great point. I did want to start to then turn from here about the different attacks and say, you know, and especially too, you're talking about you have a lot of, you know, reverse engineers on your team that you work with it that you've done yourself, what does it then start to look like to protect one of these apps? Um, because, you know, it, reverse engineering takes some time, but once you've done it, then potentially you could just, you know, you have full access to compromise the secrets, you have full access to the back end, um, what have you. So, so yeah, so that's, I guess, the long-winded way of saying, let, let's talk about that protection part and what does it look like to actually defend these clients from reverse engineering? Yeah, yeah. So that's that's a really important point, right? Um, it is probably uh, prohibitively expensive for anybody um, to to uh, make their app, uh, you know, impenetrable. This is this is uh, an unrealistic goal, and you know, I don't I don't think there's enough engineers on the on the earth to to do that to to invest in making app, you know, um, you know, Fort Knox solid. Um, the goal really is to make it unprofitable for, for hackers to attack you. You want to be sure that they're, you know, it's a preventative measure. You don't want um, the attacker to spend their time on your app. They want them to look elsewhere. You want them to give up. You want them to feel like um, attacking your app is just not worth the trouble. Um, that's really the end goal. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things that, that you know, we, we do with, with our products is, we protect the app, we protect the way the, the control flow and the data is, is used and, and, and represented to make it really difficult for, for an attacker to, to figure out what's going on. Um, so, you know, by, by that way, we, we, we slow them down. We make it annoying and irritating for them and, and uh, deter them from making your uh, app the, the target of their attention in the first place. Yeah, complexity and cost, right? The two things that uh, deter the attacker is the more complex it is, the more money they have to spend to try to reverse engineer it or attack it. Therefore, I'm not a worthy target. Go somewhere else. Yeah, that's right. Um, and one of the techniques that that we use uh, in, in our tools, uh, there's when we protect an app. You know, I think people are, are familiar with obfuscation tools, uh, things out there that that change the control flow and the data flow and 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 the organization of the code to make it difficult for for anyone to understand it, or even for for automatic tools to sort of lay it out and understand how it's working. Um, but uh, part of what we do um, in in at Erdetto is um, our our uh, our obfuscation engine um, 
it takes a source of entropy into into every uh, run. So that if uh, if you were to change even you know one line of code, even one piece of code, um, the difference between uh, the first protected version of your app and the second protection version of your app are completely different. Um, so you know if you were to uh, having a hacking community who was targeting your app and spending their time trying to figure out how to reverse engineer it, and you were to push an update with just like a tiny, tiny code change, they would be completely set back to square one. If they were to do a comparison or a differential analysis between the two versions, they wouldn't find anything to start from. So you can, um, just by sort of having a regular cadence of updating your app, constantly set uh, a hacking community uh, back to square one. I, th that's a really good point. I think that that really speaks to the idea of just what the, those time costs trade off are. Because there's the, the classic example of the, the with Microsoft Patch Tuesday, um, attackers are just taking the binary that's been updated, reverse engineering, finding out what the security flaw was, sometimes within you know hours and um, have a working exploit for it. So what you're describing then is ways of obfuscating that binary so that rather than take hours, it actually may now take days or weeks and they're starting from scratch each time. So I suppose it's that idea of planning that release cycle or just that, that change cycle of the app to be just under the time that that attacker has to invest in understanding what's going on or, or pulling out some type of, uh, you know, uh, some interesting or useful functionality to them that they can exploit. Yeah, yeah, we certainly worked with customers before who've done exactly that. You know, there, there are some industries where the hacking community is super motivated and yeah, we've been able to defeat them just by doing regular updates, you know, <laughs> a very simple thing. Um, you know, just rebuild, republish, and and you set the the attacker back to square one. It's um, a very economic way to combat that kind of activity. Even if there isn't necessarily an update in the app, potentially, right? I mean, literally, just kind of do a rebuild and relaunch by itself, because I would imagine there's randomness built into the offering that allows you, even if you didn't make a, an actual change. To the app just by rebuilding it it forces a new version of that app and therefore kind of starts the attacker game all over again yeah potentially potentially that you know even if you didn't want to make a change for an app we, we could certainly enable someone to to have that kind of act uh protection um you know change every time they they published i'm curious what's your take on um and i i there's a few reasonable answers i'm just sort of curious here what you have to say um White hats, pen testers, either insider, maybe people working on uh, bug bounties. Um, how do you think the obfuscation plays with what those guys are trying to do with good intent? Yeah, no, I think I think it's it's like it's all connected, um, and I think you know. Uh, one of the things that uh, you know we tend to do with. Um, with uh, you know those sorts of programs like pen testing or or security testing or any of these sorts of things is to look for mistakes um, to make sure we haven't done the foolish thing the thing that everybody knows how to exploit already. But the point of view that we've taken uh, at Ordetto for a long time is we want your app to run as intended, even if the environment you're in has been exploited, even in the presence of, of someone trying to go after it. So I, I think they kind of overlay each other, right? You want to do the one thing. You want to do all the testing. You want to make sure your design is secure. You want to run the, the static code analyzers, and you want to you have the pen testers go at it to make sure you haven't made a mistake. But even if you haven't made a mistake, even if you've done absolutely everything correctly, that doesn't protect you from somebody who can take your code, load it in an emulator, um, use a hooking framework, uh, you know, use a, a dynamic analysis tool to figure out what it's doing and figure out how to manipulate it. Um, fi finally, you know, um, even things like being able to, um, a hacker being able to manipulate data in memory, which is, which is entirely possible uh, in some of these frameworks and systems, um, you know, you can't protect against that, um, you know, sort of in, in the design floor. You need to be able to protect that out in the wild while the app is actually running. And that's where our obfuscation and code protections technologies help. Yeah, that's a good point about having that that confidence that the app is actually going to work as intended, even if it is in an environment that is not even necessarily hostile, but an environment that is um, compromised or or changed for some reason. For example, a rooted device, because none of this is predicated on the the idea that you know rooting your Android device is a bad thing, but 
from a, for example, a gaming perspective or a fintech perspective, you'd want to ensure that that is not leading to unfair advantages on cheating in the gaming gaming world, for example, if it's based on location data um, or in a financial space, that that device or the app on that device, if it does detect presence of a debugger maybe or presence of something else, uh, I'll use the, the technical term wonky in, in, in its um, environment, then maybe that, that's additional fraud signal that says, we're actually going to make different decisions based on what this app, what the app sees, um, you know, elevate and say, eh, maybe we don't want to accept payments right now, or, or maybe we want to just flag these purchases or flag this activity at a higher level and introduce something from Recaptcha to have a bit of a tie back to our previous segment or some other type of decision to make on that um, device. So I think that's another thing that this kind of speaks to is, is um, how to just build information about what's around the particular app in a dynamic environment, as you were pointing yeah, out. Yeah, you know, you make a really good point. You know, we've certainly worked with app developers before, app development houses, who, you know, are are interested to know whether, you know, a device is rooted or jailbroken. But, you know, in the end, they they, they want their user base to be happy, right? They, they don't want to alienate their users. And if their users are rooting their device, um, you know, the app developer isn't going to be able to stop them. We're not going to want to stop them. They're not going to want to have that fight. Um, what we provide is the app developer with that confidence that even if someone has rooted their device or installed a hooking framework or done any of those things, you know, the app will run it as intended. And, and this becomes, you know, especially important when you're dealing with, you know, uh, as you say, areas that, that are quite sensitive, you know, if you're talking about a healthcare app or, or a, a payments and banking app or something like that. Uh, in healthcare in particular, you, you, you want any, any mobile app that's controlling an insulin pump to run absolutely as intended all the time because, you know, human outcomes are on the line. Um, so I think that's where, you know, that's our attitude towards software protection that, you know, users will do things, mobile devices, um, you know, will potentially have malware installed on them. Um, you can't necessarily control everything that your user base will do, but you really want to be sure that your app runs as intended. And part of that, that, that starts to also bring a little bit of the idea when from like that, that developer perspective of what's the cost to me? Um, not perhaps so much as how do I just transform my app to make it hardened in this manner, but does that have, because you mentioned, for example, um, you know, um, uh, I'm going to use all my technical terms today, messing with the control flow or messing <laughs> with the data flow. Um, but, you know, do, do those start to then introduce overhead or latency issues? Or, or are those, you know, what does that start to expose as areas of concern just for a, a well-functioning and efficiently functioning app? Yeah, no, that's, that's dead on. You know, if you're going to if you're going to alter the code a little bit, uh, you tend to add add instructions. You tend to make it less optimal than than you know the compiler might be able to do. Um, one of the things that we've invested heavily on at Erdetto is um, um, a machine learning model that we use in our backend system that takes into account both performance models and security models that we've developed over time and does a really good job of recognizing stuff that you know is security sensitive and stuff that it's better off left alone. You know, nobody wants their UI slowed down um, and nobody really needs their UI secure. That's not the interesting part of the app. So our approach has been, you know, there is going to be a slight overhead for applying security. You want to be sure you're doing it at exactly the right place um, and not not messing with the other stuff that might impact your user experience. I, I want to go loop back to actually something that, that, that John was mentioning before too, talking about bug bounty pen testing. Um, it, just shifting to the angle of actual just doing reverse engineering in general, and th there could be looking at just random apps on an app store, or for example, malware that's been uploaded to an app store, or even if you know a company has had their own app wrapped in malware or adware. What are some good you know, tools, resources that you like to always lean, you know, push people towards or, or direct people towards, just in terms of learning some basics of these reverse engineering techniques, so they can understand then. What does it mean to harden, uh, you know, one of these apps? Yeah, sure. Um, well, <laughs> if they want, they can look at some of my Clockwork 8 videos. I think I have a couple up there now, but one on, on uh, static analysis and one on dynamic analysis that people can look at. Um, there are certainly, you know, well-known commercial tools for, for analysis, things like, um, you know, IDA Pro or IDA Pro, depending on how you pronounce it, or, or Ghidra. Um, you know, there are, there are uh, tools or for, tools like, like Frida that people can use for, for dynamic instrumentation. Um, 
I don't know that I could necessarily identify anything offhand, but there's certainly a lot of material out there on the web. You can always start with my videos. They're a fun place to start. <laughs> no, those are good. Yeah, and Catherine, <laughs> I mean, obviously, as we've seen this DevSecOps movement, right, you talk about testing being half of the battle, right? And, and But we do see some friction and some slowdown with the development teams, with the, with the different DevOps teams when it comes to security testing. How does obfuscation fit into this adding security without adding a bunch of friction into the model? Because you know we see it in various places as we move through these uh, new agile environments. Love this question. This sounds like a nice segue because I was hoping to do a, a little a demo. Would this be an okay time for me to do my demo? Sounds great. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I see if I have uh, authority here to share my screen. Uh, this looks like looks like the right thing. Um, let me know if you're able to see uh, my Erdetto uh, my Erdetto web portal here. Got it. Great. Uh, so this is trusted software. I'm going to show you how it works. Um, and this is going to be just a really quick demo. Um, this is our web portal. Suppose you've built an app. You've already built it. You've done it exactly the way you always build it. It's ready to go, ready to submit to the App Store. You haven't changed a line of code. You haven't done anything differently than your normal routine. You can just take it, select it, um, upload it to our service, tell it to protect. And uh, you can see here that uh, there's an upload in progress. In a second, you're going to see the new app appear in my job view. And uh, you'll be able to see that it's progressing and protecting it. Um, and that's it. Uh, in a minute, it will be done. You can download it. You can submit it to the App Store. There's very, very little change to your current build process. And, and of course, if you, know, you wanted to make this as part of your CI CD process, there's instructions on how to hook it in using machine-to-machine -machine authentication. Um, really, in the end, it's, it's uh, just a tiny little step at the end of what the process you're already familiar with. Um, if anybody is interested in a more detailed demo and some more information about what's actually happening and what decisions are being made in the, uh, in, in the back end there, um, they should reach out for a demo and we'll be happy to talk about it more. But I think that's all I'm going to share for today. That's great. I mean, you, you want to talk about frictionless. <laughs> you just made it really easy. It's like, <laughs> oh, take this file, drop it here. Oh, yeah, here's your new file. Post that one to the to the mobile store. So I, I, I you can pay me the 20 bucks later. I didn't I didn't know that I was setting you up so perfectly. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, that's great. And this is exactly the model, you know, we, we've really worked with, um, you know, at, we've been doing uh, security for a long time. And, um, you know, everything is leading towards towards this model. How do we make it how do we make it easy for web developers who are really experts in their domain, or, or sorry, mobile developers who are really experts in their domain? They, they know what they're doing. They know how to make excellent user experiences. They know how to add valuable features for the customers, but they don't want to spend a lot of time worrying about security and staying on top of security threats and staying on top of trends. So you know, our, our philosophy going into this product is how do we take that off their shoulders and make it easy for them to do the things that they're expert at? Yeah, and it's it's definitely hard to argue with the the simplicity of drag and drop, and then just wait for it to finish. Um, it, it was also great to see that you know the API hooks in there too, so that it can be just a, a fully automated experience, um, as well as one because. And the reason that's highlighting to me is that it's always nice to not take devs out of their their um, familiar workflows, and um, not force them into the security tools workflows, but bring that security tool into where they're already doing their work. Yeah, this is really important. You know, I think the drag and drop really makes a, a good, uh, you know, a, sh a show floor demo. Uh, you know, it's good for, for the managers and the executives, but, you know, anybody who's serious about uh, development knows automation is how you prevent errors. It's how you have traceability. It's how, you know, it's how you have repeatability. So, you know, that's really important to us and making sure we're enabling people to hook into their CI CD systems has been something we've been thinking about from day one. Great. Absolutely. And I think too that also and that also is going to kind of reinforce I'm just going back a little bit to the idea of you know protecting the app and you know what are what are sort of those metrics of success say is is security working uh, in, in the previous segment um, John was talking a little bit about fraud and account takeover so those are different those are ways of just saying is our account takeover number going up or is it going down because we've introduced recaptcha um, or other bot countermeasures same with fraud we could watch fraud going up or down hopefully correlated with introducing tools. 
And in this case, we have something else that I think is still pretty quantifiable that comes into, um, that, that just was demonstrated in, in that demo is that this is easy to adapt, easy to deploy. And your point too is that with the entropy that it introduces, it can be different every time. So our new metric now is that if it's taking four weeks for you know John over there to reverse engineer the app, and we just release on a three-week cycle, um, then we're you know we're ahead of the game here. We're ahead of the curve. So it's not the idea that uh, that this solves everything for the long term. It's just fighting that ongoing escalation of attacker costs. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's it's a little bit difficult to to measure, you know, the the strength of your security unless you unless you have an active hacker uh, community, as as we've talked about before. And then and then the real measure is: do they give up? Do they go away? Do they do they seek elsewhere? No, absolutely. Interesting thought there. Uh, sorry, I know we're wrapping up, but Mike just made me think of something. What we've seen is a pattern on between iOS and Android devices. iOS users tend to be a lot more updated, a lot more um, current, right, with both iOS itself as well as the apps that they're running on the device. So, are you know this this idea you have of, or not idea, practice you have of um, being able to um, refuzz the app, I'll say, to, to you know, continue with this uh, technical trend we have here today, to be able to re-obfuscate <laughs> the app every few weeks, does that have better efficacy for iOS apps versus Android? I, I don't think it makes a difference. I mean, I, I, of course, would recommend that people keep their OSs updated, please. Um, but, uh, you know, in terms of, of how uh, the efficacy of, of obfuscation or code protection on iOS or Android, um, no, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say there was a difference. Um, it's, it's just that, you know, that, that insurance that, that your app will be uh, protected from uh, the evil intentions of, of people mm. who might be wishing that, to that, use it. That's interesting because Android apps tend to, have, I mean, you, you've said a few things here today, you know, you know, um, third-party app stores, which is more of an Android thing. Um, people rooting devices, I think, is much more of an Android thing nowadays than iOS. So it seems like a lot of your protection really probably is focused more towards Android than iOS, but you think it's still sort of uh, par. Yeah, I do, I do. Um, okay. I think people, you know, uh, uh, who are building iOS applications. And a lot of people choose the iOS platform because they think it's more secure. Um, but in many cases, there are also people who are super concerned about, about security. You know, I, like again, someone writing a clinician app that's going to be used in hospitals, they may choose iOS as a platform, but they still really, really care that, you know, nothing goes wrong, that the app always operates as intended. And, and for that reason, you know, they're going to look at code protections on iOS as well as Android. No, as I'm curious too. So, so um, I, there's a you, you might notice a trend here. I asked John to not quite look 70 years in the future in the last segment about what's coming up. Uh, but is there anything else um, coming up over the next couple of weeks or months that you wanted to highlight, either on the some reverse engineering, some more uh, Cloakware Kate videos, or something about um, you know the the static and dynamic analysis type of countermeasures that that you're that's that's of interest to you or that that you has really been um, highlighting. No, you're, you're, you're putting me on the spot a little bit. Um, certainly the marketing team wants me to do more Cloakware Kate videos and I'm running out of time. <laughs> so there's none of those coming in, um, though I think anybody who's interested will be very interested in a white paper that your data is, is about to publish on application security. So they can certainly reach out and take a look at that if, uh, if they want to see uh, what we have to say on that subject. Cool. Well, we'll definitely we'll definitely keep an eye out for that white paper. We'll definitely have to say thank you for taking the time to to chat with us here, rather than um, uh, going out and doing another one of your your cloakware Kate videos. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, why don't you say thanks again, Catherine, for joining us. I want to thank my co-hosts, Matt and John, as well. Thank all of your listeners. If you do want to learn more about um, Erdetto, visit securityweekly.com slash Erdetto. And just want to say one more thank you for joining us. We'll see you again next week on Application Security Weekly.